Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge Boudreaux. And well, I, I don't know if anyone listened to the last week's episode, but we thought Shelly had the vid. Shelly, do you have the vid? Are you cool? Is it all clear? <laughs> Yes, thank you. I don't have the vid. <laughs> yeah. I just, well, I, I was really worried about you. Thank you. I, thank I was you. I wasn't feeling a hundred percent. You're right. You're right. But um, yeah. but no, it turned out to be I don't know. Maybe I drink too much. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, and um, you are <laughs> part of the clams. high risk group. <laughs> oh, maybe. Yeah. You are part of that high risk group, so I I care you, Shelly. I just want to make sure you're good. Was that a dig at my age? No, not at all. Not (laughs) at all. I'm just saying I'm way younger than you, so that's yes, I know. I know you point that out regularly. So listen, let's get on with the show, Uh, Serge. I have the privilege and the honor of introducing our guest today, um, someone who's also going to be joining us at the Innovate Works Rocky Edition on December third. The lovely Jillian Hines. She's senior manager of talent at TC Energy. She's also president of Ask Her YYC and is on the board of directors for CPHR Alberta. So welcome to the show, Jillian. Thank you. And I was going to say, um, I won't mention my age either. <laughs> <laughs> Jillian, it's, uh, it's kind of an inside joke between me and Shelly. So <laughs> please don't think I'm the biggest asshole in the world by calling <laughs> out her age, because you should hear the things she calls out about me, which kind of... No, every no comment. I'm always crying after. Uh, I know. We job. send him boxes of Kleenex. <laughs> career. Yeah. No contact delivery to Serge's exactly. uh, basement dwelling. <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't left my house since March, so I'm pretty COVID safe. Uh, all year. <laughs> yes. So Jillian, thanks so much. I know uh, you're in high demand, so I'm so glad that you were able to make some time for us. Um, so, I'm going to jump right in. Are you ready? Because this, yes. this is a question, you know, quite honestly, I never get tired of hearing the answer to this. Um, so share with us a bit about how did you get into your profession? Like, what was your path? Were you destined to do what you're doing today? I was born to it. No, it honestly, it was a bit of a happy accident. Um, throw in some hard work along the way and, and always luck. I think that's what everybody says, right? A little bit of luck. Um, But I actually started sort of in the HR profession, driven by the belief that I liked people and I didn't like numbers. So I was like, got to be HR, which is such a myth because we talk about data, technology, innovation, right? That's just as important in people and cultural HR as, you know, EQ, empathy and human connection. And so it just, it happenstance that it, it, ended up in HR, but then really developing kind of that data acumen behind the scenes. And I've really done everything from HR generalist, right? I've lived in field locations. I've moved around the world. um, And I happened in talent probably five or six years ago um, and really got into talent strategy and looking kind of big picture, blue sky, big trends around future of work, ecosystem of talent, right? How these disruptors impact people. So people always at the core of the work I do, but really trying to bring kind of these dis- different systems and trending kind of thoughts together. So, so was, yeah. was there an event 
like so when you even if you travel back to you know you've had such a not not necessarily a straight line it sounds like no nope. uh, was there some specific event that kind of went okay this is my life's work <laughs> to be in talent like what was it yeah, it was a little bit of a, um, the company I was working for at the time really valued international experience. And so I knew I was always working towards a global assignment in, in head office, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a little bit of a predestined, I was going to move no matter what. Um, but the role I had done a little bit of work as an HR director, really building around like organizational culture capabilities. And I, I, I really loved that side of HR. Um, and a role actually came up internally at the time in talent strategy. And so it was sort of pre, predestined that I was going to move, uh, but the role itself was a bit of happenstance. And I love it. I love talent. So I've been in talent ever since in, in different ways. So in your journey, is there something that you have seen kind of evolve or morph over time, like since you've, since you've um, come, been in the HR world? Yeah, I, you bet. I mean, I think there's a really simple answer is, is certainly technology. But if I really think deeper, so I've spent time in recruitment and talent acquisition early in my career, um, right? Generalist we talked about, and then getting into more talent management, strategy, development, DNI. What I would say is one of the biggest shifts that I've seen in sort of the last decade is really that shift of tr- the traditional approach to hiring, right? We hire externally for specific jobs from known talent pools. And now we recruit from, it's a broader spectrum of options, right? We're looking at permanent employees, contingent workers, freelancers, gig workers, students, talent exchanges. Heck, it's a robot. It's not even a person anymore. Um, And so we've really gone from kind of what's that known sort of traditional approach to this broader view. And also looking a lot around, it's not, I think qualifications used to drive hiring, right? I need to have a master's degree. I need to have this type of of qualification Mm -hmm. in the field to fill this type of job. And now we're talking about, I need these outcomes and these skills and then back up. What's the talent that I need, right? So quite a blurring of lines, I think, is what I've seen. Well, you know, it's funny. So uh, you're speaking Innovate Work on Wednesday next week. So I spoke at the last Innovate Work. And what I talked about was exactly those two subjects is uh, one of it was follow the talent. So where you're hiring people and how you're hiring people is completely dramatically changed for a lot of organizations. But a lot of organizations have been doing this for a long time, especially I'm in the tech sector. And it's pretty common is if you have the skill set, I don't care if you're in in Alberta or you're in. Silicon Valley, if you have the skill set, we want to hire you. The other, the other thing that I talked about was exactly that skill-based hiring. And I yeah. talk a lot about when I'm looking for talent, I don't care about your college degree. Obviously, if someone's doing an operation on me, I want them to have their PhD. Yeah, yeah for sure. Oh, there's <laughs> a level there that you need. Exactly. <laughs> But if I'm hiring in sales and marketing or pick basically the industry, I rather see that person that has increased their skills over the years and taken a lot of different courses and just enhanced it than someone that got a degree 20 years ago. Because like my point is 20 years ago, when I was in school, I don't remember anything because yeah. I was drinking and partying and trying to, <laughs> the truth. trying to pick I'm up so girls. Honest. Like, oh my that God. was my experience. But in reality, and I, I really learned this like 10 years ago is like, okay, I need to keep strengthening my skills because the yeah. world of work is 
I guess the skill transition has changed ra- rapidly and it's changing rapidly. And so if you're not on top of it, you're kind yeah. of falling behind. But it, that, that goes to my next question. So if we look at 2020, 2020 is going to be the year, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years now that we're going to look back and be like, there was a major shift. There was a major shift in the way the world works. And if we look at, I think one of the biggest one is how companies have adopted to digital. And what I yeah. mean by that, how you do work and like something as simple of having a Zoom conversation, which people have used um, like video communication for yeah. years, but really to be broadly adopted through all the meetings, that's something new. How our business process to be automated. So. Yeah. What's your advice? Because this is a major challenge for talent professionals that have not had to really deal with it. Like you're in oil and gas. It's been a little bit slower to adapt in some situations, not oil and gas, manufacturing, a lot of organizations. So what's your advice to those uh, professionals and the organizations that are are really dealing with this new reality? I might start on a personal advice level. Um, And actually, this is something I've been seeing through my nonprofit work with with Ask Her and and others. Uh, What I love about remote work is the normalization of who you are is now front and center at work because of Zoom and because of all these different video platforms, right? I have a COVID baby. I have a 10-month-old baby. He was born during COVID. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Um, And he is on my lap right? At all these different meetings or when I open events, I have a baby and and we say, you know, bring your family to, you know, fully dressed and no naked accidents, but like, you know, bring your family, have your, if you have parent care, elder care, if you're you're responsible for child care, you have your pets, right? What a way to normalize who we are and make it human. So just on that personal front, I I would say kind of embrace that. And I, I know that it's still a journey for some folks to accept it. This is who we are bring your whole self to work, right? Uh, anyway, fully, fully dressed people, no naked accidents, but bring yourself to work. And then what I would say is <laughs> I had a coworker whose husband wore only a towel on screen by accident one time. So anyway, that's why I say that. <laughs> oh, clothes. I have stories for you. So I believe it. <laughs> wear, wear your clothes. Um, so that's what I would say sort of on the, the personal side and embrace it as well. And then what I would say more on the sort of the, the talent professional, professional side it is, to your point, Serge, there's lots of industries that are still sort of on the slower side of the curve on change, so to speak, but it's being done for them. And so I would yeah. say first and foremost, if this is new to you, right, disruption's here. It's just being accelerated. We know that. And so it's about collaboration and not competing, so to speak, right? And all of these sort of tech trends, right, AI, big data, whatever it is, robo- even robotics, analytics, heck, macros on a spreadsheet, right? At the very simplest form, they're here to help our lives. And so it really is, how does all of these sort of tech trends improve the work you do, simplify your job, but amplify amplify the value that you can create, right? You can do, you can own your own job and you can look at that and you can say, listen, I think this part really needs to go and be automated somehow. I might not know how to do the automation, but I know that this needs to be simplified so that I can actually focus on the value creation of the job that I have. So I would say start there. And then I would say it really is about developing some different skill sets. So Serge, at any skill, right, that you that you learned 20 years ago is going to have evolved today. Um, and so I would say it's the same thing, right? There's these core human skills that are still incredibly important. We talk about creativity, we talk about problem solving, we talk about, um, right, all these great things, curiosity, 
but just like an HR professional needs to read a P&L, we need to understand a P&L. We need to know if you're an energy like production stats or, or safety stats, you need to develop a base digital literacy. So, you know, you're not going to be a programming expert. You don't necessarily have to know coding languages, but it really is about being curious, educating yourself on, on the trends and just understanding what does digital mean in my business, right? What are the technologies that they're really wanting to adopt? What capabilities do the build, the business have to build? And so it's really engaging in those digital business discussions as well. And I'd say the last piece is, is like create your partnerships. There are experts in your organization, no matter where you work, right? That, that are the innovation counterparts. So it could be IT, it could be tech centers, it could be your data science centers. Um, create those partnerships so that you can kind of co-create the people and tech solutions together. That That's where I would say is just sort of start, start there. Sounds big, but yeah. uh, start there. Really, really, really good advice, Jillian. And if we look at it, one of the, so most of our audience is in the recruitment world. And if we yeah. look at the changes that's happened in recruitment in some ways as well, yeah. but we're seeing a shift and we're seeing a drive for automation. You mentioned AI. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think there's a lot of concern overall because recruitment as HR, we're always like, you might agree or disagree. We're always like 20 years behind in some ways when it comes to different adoption. And it's, and not always, but it's happened a lot. So now we're seeing a rapid shift where a lot of the tasks that maybe a recruitment coordinator or an HR coordinator is getting automated. And there's a yeah. lot of people scared of that yeah. happening. Uh, and what's your overall take on that? Like, how do you, if you're in a role, uh, say coordinator or even where I, I think you mentioned it as far as uh, relationships are way more critical and where you bring value and, and that's where you can't really change that. But what's your perspective on that? Yeah, it's a good question. And I appreciate, you know, especially the the types of jobs that are kind of front and center, sort of touching the technology, right? You're touching talent acquisition systems and you're touching kind of the, the job application processes. Um, all of those are ripe for automation and are being automated. So I would say when you're touching that and so close, there is a higher risk of that impacting the job that you do in the role that you're in. Um, what I would say is probably a couple of different things. Um, there is a little bit about that reskilling. And so we talked about skills a lot already, but right, there's skills and skills adjacent, uh, adjacency, if, if that makes sense, right? So you might be a fantastic sourcer. You can get in and go and identify where's the talent, what's, what's happening in the market, um, where my diversity kind of representation, who do I have to, uh, what companies do I have to look at to find that talent? What universities do I have to go to? And so you've got this real skill in finding talent. Well, potentially, you can apply that skill to the internal talent market. And so we're always going to need to move people internally, right? Um, how can we apply that external re recruitment sourcing skill, bring that mm -hmm. internally to enable the movement? So that's just one example of, right, look for some of that reskilling, the skills adjacent um, skills that you can build, so to speak. Uh, and then maybe get ahead of what's going to happen in your job and say, listen, like I said, this, this stuff can be automated. And, and really I'm spending a lot of time on these clunky spreadsheets or this clunky like review process. What can I do? Um, there's a lot of, you know, even looking at technology to remove biases in the recruitment process, right? Like unbiased, uh, what is it? Unbiasify the Google Chrome extension to just give you blind resumes and take out the names. Like there's lots of things happening that you can bring as a bit of a solution to make this process kind of uh, 
sort of collaborate across all the different areas of HR as well. I've said a lot, but... All very interesting, and, and you actually did a perfect segue to what I wanted to ask next. So, one of I've been recruiting twenty years, uh, yeah. and I've I, I have to be completely honest. As far as when we look at um, unbiased diversity inclusion, it's something that's always there, but it's never been a focus. Is focus, and, and part of it is a, a privilege of being a white yeah. male middle aged guy that you think that everyone is in the same boat when they're applying for a job, but is become really clear, especially in 2020, I think the business case for diversity and inclusion is stronger than ever, which is another big mindset change that's happened in the talent acquisition, the talent management space. So what's your advice to business that are really struggling with this? Yeah, this one is uh, incredibly close to my heart. It's it's sort of one of my passions and purposes generally, and it shows up in my work and it shows up in what I do outside of my job as well. Um, and I, like I'll say, just fundamentally, I believe people are the critical differentiator of an organization. And when we look at workforces to be dynamic, you need to have diverse leaders, you need to have diverse um, overall employees, but you need to have that inclusive and equitable culture. So it, it's here, right? 2020 was, we look at COVID that's impacted gender representation and women opting out of the workplace. We look at what's happening, you know, certainly in the US, but all around us around Black Lives Matter and what we saw with George Floyd and others. And, you know, in Canada, we're facing some real serious conversations about Indigenous reconciliation. And I'll put a plug in here. If you haven't done the U of A Indigenous course, it's absolutely fantastic. It's free. Look it up on Coursera. It just, there's a lot of learning and unlearning in, in that whole space. So I would say EDI is is the start of the conversation and we're even seeing organizations shift, like I said, into like indigenous reconciliation and and anti-racism. So we're seeing kind of this going even further, but I I think start simple. If if you need to start somewhere, I think get, (laughs) sounds simple, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Serge, to your point, we, there is a level of privilege that, that many of us have, right? I'm a, I'm a white cisgendered woman and, and that does bring a level of privilege. It's uncomfortable to have these conversations, but we need to, and that's where change truly happens. And then I think from there, it really is a learning and learning and relearning journey. Um, we, we have learned different things throughout our lives and experienced, uh, we have different experiences as well. And, and there's a bit of time to actually unlearn and to hear what's happening from other people's perspectives. So as a leadership team or as an organization, start with that learning, right? Whether it's inclusion unconscious bias training, you know, whether it's really getting deep into anti-racism and oppression culture, like start there. And then what I would say is um, it has to become the fabric of the organization. So you need to start and focus on your employees, grassroots change, lots of things you can do there right up to your senior leaders. And then we know there has to be a framework, right? Goals, actions, um, what gets measured gets done, so to speak. And you can link it to psychological health and you know uh, psychological safety, mental health and wellness, supplier strategy, your talent management, your talent acquisition. It's a system. Um, so super passionate about it. <laughs> Start somewhere, take the U of A Indigenous course in Canada. <laughs> No, I, and I think that's a good start. So me and Shelly had Michael Bach join our episode uh, a month ago. And oh, one, of the yeah. things, one of the things he said that was really interesting is, uh, and made a lot of sense is, if you're 
creating a diversity program, it's probably not going to work because when business gets tough, it's the yeah. first thing that gets cut. Yep. And uh, like Shelly, you, I think you agreed really in me. Yeah. With, uh, point that it has to be part of the fabric of your culture and that is really 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 hard that's hard like this is not you can't just put a band-aid on it create a program and it's done yeah Um, really good insights on yeah what i liked about what you just said as well jillian is it really it it's it's echoed in what michael says and what he says in his book as well is that if leadership isn't absolutely in then, you know, yes, grassroots is great, but it just becomes a little committee yeah. versus as you talk about having it kind of weaved into the whole organization. Yeah. And yes, there has to be like a true commitment yeah, and, and truly starting with leadership. So I, I just, I just love that. Just love that. Cause that is the only way it works. Yeah. And there's some really neat things happening in, in the recruitment space here, right? Like I'm sure you've talked about this in other episodes, but right, uh, different kind of technologies to root out bias in, in job postings, right? Gender bias. If it, oh. you can pick up different words around bias, yes. you, like I said, yeah. you can toggle off names to have blind resumes. It it, it just really is helping and every part of, of talent, you're starting to see that there's these different sort of applications and, and tech to really help um, support the diversity and inclusion approach, but it, it is, it starts with your leadership. You need everybody on board. It's part of your fabric. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have talked about uh, some, some of those tools yeah. that will just even very quickly identify that this job description was written and pardon, you know, present company excluded search, but it's written by a man for a man yep. to hire a man. Sorry, search. But I mean, it, it really is. And, yep. and until, until you, um, until you actually want to see it, you know, run it through this free little tool. Yeah. I mean, I mean, exactly. that is a very easy place to start. And I think it it's yeah. a real shocker. It's a real shocker for a lot of companies, yeah. even those that have very public statements about yeah. diversity and inclusion, yet their job ads are. Yeah, yeah so absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you, Shelly. And we had, we did that exercise at the company yeah. where I worked yeah. at, where we ran through all our job descriptions through, it was more focused on gender, uh, being in the tech sector, attracting um, diversity yep. is sometimes yep. a challenge based on. So what we did is we ran, and it was crazy. 90% of our jobs were almost like two times, three times tilted towards the male sex. In reality, we were trying to figure out why no woman was applying to her job. And it was pretty clear when we made that shift. You're even starting to see, I would say not so much in in private industry yet necessarily, but certainly in public nonprofit, people are publishing salaries because they, and they want to be clear, right? This is the salary. These are the hours. Here's the flexibility. um, And just being really clear on the impact because like if you have a family, if you need a certain um, income to live, you need to know that. And anyway, there's lots of things you can do that are small steps to to help root out some of these biases. Even ask, asking the question, who's helped design my interview questions? Is it all one type of person, all one type of gender? Do they all look alike? Because there might be a bias in that system that you're not aware of. Um, so yeah, there, there are small things you can do to start. Even, you know, I don't want to say even if, but like, you know, as a talent manager or as a, as a recruiter, there are things you can do, whether or not your organization is doing something broadly. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and what's really cool about it, Google for Jobs is actually yeah. driving 
results based on you putting your salaries and we're starting to see yeah. different players. So the technology is forcing companies yeah. because I've had that challenge with every organization. I've been a strong believer of putting the salary, but there's been really no incentive for them to do it. Yeah. And this is kind of forcing the hand be like, yeah. Hey, do we want to be on top of the searches? Yeah. Yes. Well, this is what we're going to need to do. So yeah. great point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So can I change gears just a little bit here? Because there's something that you kind of uh, just kind of skimmed over here at the beginning of our episode. And I want to come back and talk about it a bit. And that's about the future of work. I mean, that's kind of a big, big topic. Yeah. I know <laughs> I love like whenever they publish that, um, you know, what's the five year predicted uh, skill demand, that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. I love reading those studies. I mean, 60 pages in and I'm still <laughs> like, I, I, I've got to get up and <laughs> stretch my legs. Um, so tell us your, your, your take. What is what is the future of work look like for you? Yeah, that's a really good question. And uh, I think the World Economic Forum just uh, released their new uh, future. Did you? I haven't I read it yet. It's in my inbox. I love it. I love that. I'm so weird. I love <laughs> that. That is stuff. so great. But yeah, it's in my inbox. I haven't gone through it yet. So I, I would say, yeah, Shelly, you're you're totally right. When, when people say future of work, it means a heck of a lot of different things. Um, for me, what it means is that there's really this like large number of interlinked disruptors that are affecting how we work, right? Redefining work, workforces and workplaces. So there's this big bucket that I think people just blanket call like digital or digitalization. And that's anything from like automation, digital, big data, AI, robotics. Um, It's this big bucket of like tech enabled, um, technology enabled things, right? And then there's kind of more in the middle, um, a little bit around like ways of working and structure. So you'll hear a lot of times like agile ways of working. Um, Well, that really is, it's not just about, you know, I have agility and I can pivot. There really is a formal um, agile approach to work, right? Uh, And then more than that, it's like your flattening of your org structures, right? Moving layers, enriching the work that people do. And on the right-hand side for me, and I have a visual in my head here, but on the right-hand side, it's what I sort of call ecosystem of of talent. I think there's a lot of different names for this, but it really is like your human clouds, your crowdsourcing capabilities, um, your gig economy, like again, some tech platforms that that link people to work and work to people in really different ways. So right back to what you you mentioned early on in the episodes and lots of nice links. But I I would say for me, Shelly, I do always approach it from a people-centric lens. And so for me, I always ask, you know, how do we bring innovation and tech um, to elevate people's purpose and passion? And what I love about the future of work and where I see it heading is we talk a lot about like customer centricity as a business. We need to have the customer front and center. Well, as an HR professional, it's that employee centricity. And I'm sure you've talked about like employee experience, employee centricity, we need to really redefine what we do as a profession, put our employees front and center, you know, as a recruiter, put your, uh, put the, who you're recruiting front and center, right? Like your, your job applicants, put, put yourself in their shoes. How does the technology really help their experience? And it's about the Netflix of learning approach and the appification of HR and all these real fancy buzzwords, but it just means how do we make folks lives easier from an HR professional perspective, amplify yeah. value. Yeah, it is an exciting time. It's really neat. Because there's so many, there's, uh, although, like you mentioned a moment ago, Serge, HR does tend to be about 20 years behind. 
<laughs> so, you know, even even the the notion of when you go online to buy something, oh, because you're looking at uh, snow brushes, here's uh, here's some other things that people want. Like, why won't they do that for jobs? I know. <laughs> you know, like it's like it's it is so proven to work in the retail space, and its application over to the I world know. of work is just like it's just so simple. But like anyway. crowdsource solutions, right? Or like GoFundMe things. Use leverage the power of the people to come up with some creative things. And yeah, it just it is hard to get that traction in organizations. But you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if you look at really the reality of the future of work, and what I think we realized during COVID is yeah. a lot of the rules we've had. So some of it are HR, some are organizations. We've realized they're completely useless. And what I mean by that is we've been able to adapt to a new business environment without using this business rules or these HR rules. And we've done just fine. So I I think that's what we're seeing from the station. But one of the things that I've seen, and I want to get your input on it, especially working from home, uh, we're seeing companies that are mandated that you have to have your Zoom open all day or Microsoft Teams. So someone can actually see that you're working. Uh, which I, in my personal opinion, is if your company is doing that, your company is doomed. Uh, and I, it doesn't mean tomorrow, but it will go down that road. Yeah. What's your thoughts on that? Like, what's where do you stand on something like that? Well, generally, like with or without Zoom, my my stance is it's not the hours you put in in to work. So even when organizations are back in the office and we forgot that we can work remotely and connect all around the world. I never put merit into the hours that that somebody has. I don't believe that. I think that just creates behaviors that aren't great um, for a person, a team or an organization generally. And so then in Zoom or in a remote virtual video working environment, I do not believe you should be mandating whatsoever. I don't think that's good for mental health. I think it it's like big brother watching all the time and people are tired of screens and there is fatigue. And so it's not, it it just, I believe it impacts folks mental health and it's not the right thing to do personally. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm on the same page. I think you mentioned it. It's, it's all about outcomes uh, and, and how you measure it. And the challenge though with outcomes is a lot of organizations can't measure or don't know how to measure outcomes and that causes a challenge and this shift a lot of organizations can't adopt to it being like are they working nine to five at their desk and that means they're working so organizations have a lot to do on that end so going you gave us a big picture of what the future work (laughs) looks like i i want to go a little bit deeper in the sense of particular trends like if we're looking at 2021 we're yeah frick we're we're a month away Um, like, what are you seeing in 2021? What are trends are we going to see in HR recruitment, talent management? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think probably for me, sort of three are top of, of mind. Um, gosh, I feel like we always come full circle here. Reskilling. I think especially if you're in Alberta, um, I, I mean, around the world, you're feeling this, but in Alberta, you, you know, not only do you have COVID impact, you've got oil price impact, there's energy transition it's happening. And so you overlay all of those things. We need more skills, new skills, and people aren't even learning the right skills necessarily in, in, you know, if you're in school. So I, I think there just is continued focus and conversation on that whole skills piece, which is really challenging because it requires 
universities, companies, and governments to kind of come together. But anyway, I think reskilling just remains a, a critical part of the conversation. I, I, I really think that I, I talk to a lot of people and they're like, oh, we're going through another reorg and there's a restructure and why is everything changing all the time? Will we ever be stable? Um, org, org restructure, org redesign, org, org changes, it's here to stay. Like it, it just is a business reality. Um, I, I don't think that's new. I just think that's a continued trend because we have to get better at responding to change faster. We saw it with COVID. We, we have to be fast. Mm-hmm. You have to pivot, right? You can't have rigid structures strict rules, multiple layers, all of that slows down. And I think you see the folks, the organizations that can pivot fast are set up for success. Like you look at breweries that shifted from making beer to selling hands or creating hand sanitizer, right? It's just, anyway, so you can't, you can't be rigid and that's here to stay. And then I think the last thing that just becomes table stakes right now for all organizations is DNI. Like it is a priority. You're seeing it reported externally in ESG reporting. You're seeing, um, like it, it. You're seeing the creation of like these chief diversity officer roles or these senior diversity roles. It continues to be a priority. It has to be more programmatic. I think we're going to have to try to figure out how to fix that broken rung because women are leaving the workforce, especially due to COVID right now. I think so those those to me are the three things that are top of my mind for next year. I don't have answers for any of it, so please don't ask me, but the... <laughs> <laughs> yet. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I recently also read the news article. I think was it um I don't know if it was the BBC or was it Canadian that was reporting um just how many women had to leave the workforce. That's the yeah. reality. Little ones want their mama. Yeah. You no. Know? And and yeah. wow, what yeah. what will that mean for um, losing ground, even yeah. for pay equity? Like, anyways, yeah. oh, it's a little frightening. It is a little frightening, but wow, we covered a lot of ground. Hey, wow, thank you so much. So, um, Jillian, tell me um, for those of our listeners who don't know who you are, how can they find you? Yeah, you can find me in a couple of different spots. So certainly uh, look me up on LinkedIn, Jillian Hines. Uh, I'm, I've joined the Twitterverse just recently. So I'm trying to get a little bit more involved there. So that's G Hines YYC. Yeah, uh, on any of those, message me anytime. I'm always happy to have, have a chat about talent. I will be at Innovate Works Rockies next week as well. I'm looking forward to having, although now I have to think about what to talk about because I feel like I shared a lot of my content here. So uh, that'll be, that'll be something for me to sort out in the next hour or so. <laughs> you Honestly, you can just rehash this topic. You had so I, many oh, great. Yeah, just use <laughs> I'm going to pick uh, one and actually go deep. <laughs> oh, yeah. and you know what I did is just topics that I'm very well, like I've spoken yeah. a lot of them just kind of recycled them, which is uh, in some ways, just put a different spin on it. Yeah, love it. TikTok account? Uh, no TikTok? Or I am you... not on TikTok. You can find <laughs> me on Instagram. <laughs> but I, I don't yet subscribe. Although TikTok is really good for learning Excel things, FYI. So it's, it's really good for what? Sorry, I missed that. Learning, learning Excel, like different kind of fun stuff to do with Excel randomly. Yes. <laughs> There's anything you could ever learn. And I've been trying to learn woodworking. So I've been watching ah. TikTok on yeah. woodworking with 
I, I still can't do anything. But then I get caught up in just like other stuff on TikTok, then I'm two hours yeah. deep. And that's why I'm staying I'm... away from it for now. <laughs> yeah, just stay away. I'm already from spending it. a lot of time <laughs> on these other platforms. Yeah. <laughs> So congratulations on your 10 month old. I know how hard that Thank is. You. I have, uh, I have, is that your first or? No, uh, I have a three-year-old as well. Okay. So yeah. you're, I have a five-year-old and I have 19 month twins. So oh, I'm, oh. Exactly- I'm a twin. Are you a twin? Yes, okay. Identical or fraternal? Fraternal. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. How is it? I'll, next conversation we'll dig in deeper because I want to know everything about being <laughs> so i can raise my competitive. <laughs> i'm starting to see that already i'm seeing such a different person yeah. but aside from that um this was amazing please do check out and if you haven't registered for innovate work hockey yeah. go check it out at innovatework.co not com innovatework.co uh, Jillian is one of the keynote speakers and myself and Shelly will be hosting the guest panel. Uh, so we're going to give everyone some really tough questions. So be ready for that, Jillian, as well. Um, <laughs> no, don't worry. I'm kidding. But again, thank you, Jillian. Really appreciate having you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It was This was one of the most fun conversations I have had this week. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Just this week? Not ever? Oh, uh, not ever. No. Stop Stop trying to make it happen, Serge. (laughs) See you at Innovate Work. Thanks, Jillian. Thank you. Have you ever found yourself scrolling through financial news and wondering, how does any of this affect me? How can I read a major headline and truly understand what impact that has on not only my portfolio, but my life? Well, our goal on the podcast Inside the Street, hosted by Wall Street analysts at Chiffre Partners, is to provide public investors and young professionals with a deeper understanding of the mechanics that drive those major headlines. And what better way to dive into these mechanics than hosting Wall Street analysts themselves to discuss the newest trends in finance firsthand? Well, on our show, we bring you real perspectives from the front line. Hearing these analysts give commentary has made our listeners much more well-versed on the financial markets. This approach to discussion allows our listeners to engage in conversation with much more educated opinions and predictions. So be sure to check out our show, Inside the Street, wherever you find your podcasts.